Hello, welcome to the April From the Rookery End podcast. Um, my name's John, uh, with me is Mike. Good day to you. Good day, sir. And uh, Jason. Good evening, even. Good evening, yeah, you're wrong, Mike, because it is evening and we are at Burke Hampstead Football Club. Yeah, the familiar train rumbles past. Yeah, we're here to see the first game of the Watford Ladies season, so yeah, very exciting. Quite a few people here, excitement building, added to by a late kickoff. Yeah. What, what big game is complete without a late kickoff? Not due to crowd congestion. Millwall got, they couldn't get here because the trains were bad. We're going to see how the ladies' team get on in their first game of the season. Uh, talking to the manager, John Salomon, after the game, hope to one of the girls as well. We're going to have to discuss late goals and also Troy Dean's future. Plus, after our interview with the Watford CEO, that's Chief Executive Officer, right. Scott Duxbury, uh, we're going to follow up uh, a few of the points he made about the academy and have a chat with the current head of academy, Chris McGuan. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Quickly, uh, fast forward in time to Saturday. We will go back to the Watford ladies game in a bit, but outside uh, Vicarage Road after Watford 3, Ipswich 1. Here with Jason and uh, with uh, our insider from uh, Bournemouth, Kelly. That was a fun game, wasn't it, Kelly? Yeah, it was. But the second half was good. It was nice to actually see us be at one all and then not concede, not miss all our chances and actually go on and get two good goals in the result we deserved, I think. It was so not, not bad, I don't think. First half they were right, weren't they? Yeah, I, th- I think both sides played some nice football in the first half but didn't really create anything there. It wasn't much. I mean, it says it all that after a 3-1 result, um, man of the match, and quite rightly in my opinion, was Tommy Hoban. What a great game he had. Lots of nice football but not really testing the keepers. Now you've seen uh, pretty much every single team a good once or twice now. Kelly and your job uh, down at Bournemouth. The way the division is looking at this moment, and there was a team down the playoffs, is that, is that a fair result? Is that those teams battling for it rightly? And then should Watford be there as well? It's funny because I've actually seen Brighton four times this season. I've seen them play Watford home and away and Bournemouth home and away, and I thought they were woeful every time I saw them. But as it stands, I think they'll get the sixth playoff spot. And it's a controversial thing to say, working for Bournemouth and supporting Watford. But with their running and with the football they're playing, I think they'll get it. So, I don't know. The league is so up and down. I don't. Does anyone deserve that sixth place this year? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'd argue. Well, deserve it or actually want it. That's the, 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 the way teams are playing. They actually really want it. Ipswich, they had a, a great, great little... When they won, they were 1-1 with us. They were singing like they were, they were going out and all of a sudden it all just disappeared from them. Um, that sixth place. Jason, though. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be open. I don't want to be in the playoffs. I'm not interested in being in the playoffs. You're not. I am. Of course, I You can say that now. I mean, I could. I don't know. When you actually sit there, when it comes to playoff time and you're watching these other four sides having a go for, the, for promotion, mm. um, knowing that one of them's going to make it, you want to be a part of it, don't you? I, I know I will. I know I will. I, 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 I think there's too much still for us to do. But I, I suppose I'm not, after last year and what the good things that are still to come, I don't, it doesn't feel like that, those chances that we used to have where it was like this is maybe the one chance in five years we're going to get to go up possibly don't feel like that absolutely and we were saying that at the start of the season we thought after what happened last season we thought this season was going to be a stroll in the park almost didn't we we I said we were going to be challenging for automatic promotion we started with an absolute flyer we won't, won't mention that first home game <laughs> pressure company <laughs> and, but then it all went, all went wrong teams worked us out Zola left and, and it's been a bit of a rebuild for this year so yeah we know that next year we, we should be able to have another good go at it still want to be there still want to be in the mix at the end mate well, Ke- Kelly you, do you want do you want to be part of the playoffs at this point as a Watford fan a Watford hat on I think every fan wants to be. I, I go with what Jason's just said. But realistically, I think if we were to get to the playoffs, I think it would be a bit false, and I think it would cover up a lot of the cracks. I think it's just a case of, I've said it for a while now, I'm saying it's John Marks after what we played Bournemouth, that 
down in Bournemouth, they were, Watford were lucky to get a point that day, and I'm saying that with my Watford hat on. Yeah. Um, they were lucky, and I think it's just a case of get to the end of the season, not rebuild, but I think, I won't say who, but I think there'll be some bigger of the bigger stars leaving, so it'll be a case of rebuild. But I think there's definitely promising signs, and it's always, obviously, it's always good to win, but it's good to end the season on a high because we've had some real low points this season, and hopefully, we can build on them for next season. Four games left. What do you want to happen in the last four games? I want us to make a go of it. Okay. I can't, I said to you before this, I was going to say no, so I was getting <laughs> no. the playoffs. Your heart rules your head, doesn't it? My head says no. What, 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 what would be a good go of it, though? We're going to thrash QPR? We're not going to thrash QPR. I'd love us to thrash QPR, though, <laughs> wouldn't you? My mum's going to that on Monday, and I'm really jealous. Having said that, Bournemouth are playing Ipswich on Monday, which is another huge game. I just love it at the moment, because every game is throwing up. Like we keep saying that every time we, we interview Eddie Howe, pre-match Bournemouth, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, Eddie, but it's a big game. It's, every game is the biggest game of the season, and that's why I love it. That's, the Championship's great, isn't it? Jason, what do you want to happen? I think I said in the last podcast, I, I want us to see put a run together. We're unbeaten for a while now. We've had a bit of a, a run. Of, but yeah, I want to see us have a good run. If we don't make the playoffs, we we are affecting the playoffs. And honestly, we could have a bit of schadenfreude. Oh, yeah, schadenfreude. <laughs> that glass full? <laughs> obviously, we've, we've done it to it switch today. We've got QPR, we've got Derby to play. Whilst those guys are pretty much there. The window itself. We could knock the window ourselves. Exactly. The, the thing we say about the playoffs is momentum. And the team that does get that sixth spot might do it on, a, on the back of a big run. And if we can kick the guys that are already up there, that uh, not make confidence a bit, um, might cause them a few issues for their uh, for their playoff semi-finals when it when it comes around. Uh, well, we're going to go back now, back in time to uh, Wednesday at uh, Burkhamton Cup for Watford Ladies. Go have a chat about Troy Deeney and uh, those late goals that we've been uh, letting in. Read the musings and ramblings on the podcast blog at fromtherookeryend.com. Well, it's early in this game still, um, and it's it's oh, oh. referee. Very different from watching Millwall men's team, and tell you that much. <laughs> Early stage of this game, and of course, Watford's men's team, first men's team, haven't necessarily had a good end of games of late. Uh, it's a bit of a nagging feeling at the moment that we're sort of shipping too many goals in the closing ten minutes of a game. Uh, now, Mike, I could sit here and I could trot off a, a few stats, thanks to John Sinclair at the Watford mailing list. But you don't want me to cut my throat, do you? <laughs> no, no, but actually, we've only lost three points at home net and away we've only lost six points at home net you know, so that's taken into account goals we, we've we scored, scored in the last yeah, minute as well yeah. but it certainly doesn't feel that way does it Mark? no of course it, it never does when you're letting in goals then it, it feels depressing and it's sort of you just feel like you got so close kind of like the season the season as a whole we've sort of almost made it and, and as it turns out we, we haven't really got anywhere near but just so incredibly frustrating I think you've got to qualify it first by saying if you're ahead in a game, the opposition is always going to be throwing the kitchen sink at you. You know, if Watford are losing 2-1 with 10 seconds left on the clock, what are you doing? You say, get it forward, bomb forward, you might as well lose 3-1, then yeah. you draw 2 all. So you've always got to remember that you are playing against a team who's increasingly desperate to score, but um, having said that, it has happened far too many times. And I know the, 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 the stats that you mentioned, are, you know, that's, that's very calm and level-headed of you and sort of rational. But actually, if you look at the number of goals we've scored in the, conceded in that time, it is it's far too many, um, and it just feels very, very deflating. Especially at, you know Millwall on 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 Saturday, and there was Blackburn before that, where we'd, we'd worked quite hard to get to get back into the Blackburn game and had to weather a, a bit of a Millwall onslaught in the second half, and to find ourselves ahead in the dying embers. And then to come away with, with just a point, Burnley as well, similarly, they were there for the taking. That one was more 
about us not taking our chances, I think. Yeah, we are playing in the middle game. Uh, a team at the bottom, uh, the Burnley game, a team at the top. It goes you know, to show we don't mind too, we concede again. Yeah, no, but there is that thing about this time of year, yeah, you're playing against teams that are a, a little bit more desperate. No, but I don't and, think and if, like you say, you say about throwing the kitchen sink at them, they're even more so at that point. Yeah, I don't and think it's fair to say that it's been just at the end of the season, though. No. I mean, the, the most recent really heart-breaking one was Leicester. I mean, it would be nice if we'd beat them for a whole host of reasons, and that. You knew, I was, you know, I wasn't at that game, but I was checking my phone, checking you Twitter. Didn't and I just you didn't knew, know. I was no, just waiting know. for it. You get and there it. it came, 90 plus four, Danny Drinkwater, you know. And I can't, and I think the players, and now, now it's, it's happened, and the players have started to say publicly that it is a bit of a mental thing, and kind of that's another reason we, we, we said at the top of the podcast, are you ready for the end of the season? And one of the reasons is I think the players are as well, to a degree, because they're now talking it's a mental yeah, issue, yeah, so yeah. They're, they're, they've let it into their world, if you like, because they're, they're acknowledging it. Um, so it obviously is a thing for them as well. So it's one of the most difficult things to cope with as a supporter, even being rational about it, even taking into account the opposition, even taking into account the net points, you know, won and gained. It is just the most sickening, annoying, frustrating, mind-bogglingly... <laughs> irritating thing to happen and it's just happened too much OK Jason what, why oh come out keeper chance uh, 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 describe that goal defensive errors yeah. sorry the, the ball the ball I think bounced a couple of times I think two defenders went for it and, and misjudged it and I think bounced over their heads and the uh, striker just powered through ran the keeper and in yeah, I bet on fair. Good yeah, good finish, but a bit harsh from Watford because Watford have been doing most of the attacking so far. So uh, as long as they don't let their heads drop, there's no reason to think they can't get back into this. Uh, what were we talking Go about? Watford! Late goals. Late goals. It's, uh, the main thing, <laughs> not early goals. It's, you know, is, is it simple, Jason, uh, saying we, the, 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 the players are, are just giving up, they're ready for the holiday, or we uh, can't defend the league? I don't think you can say that about uh, about professional footballers. It's their, it's their job, it's their livelihood. They're not going to not try <laughs> at any point because um, if they don't try they're going to get found out and they're still going to be playing in League One um, there's a few things when it gets to, to this stage when it's happening quite a lot you think there's probably a psychological thing going on there's a, there's a panic going on panic and, and that can only lead to, to disaster um, is it a lack of concentration are they are they physical tiredness will mean that your concentration goes late on in games so that it could be an element of that um, and and so yeah is it, where's the time come from is it that they are tired is that why it's, is that why it's happening uh, well, the way we set up at the moment you see we do work quite hard as a team in fact if you look at the two attacking midfielders um, they work really really hard I think Sonia has them working really hard hearing about the pitch um, defending from the front almost when yeah, you're up by a goal late stages like Mike said teams are going to come at you um, those attacking guys have got to defend yeah. more deeper than they thought they've been hearing around the pitch they might be a bit tired or they might have been replaced by a substitute who isn't into the pace of the game um, makes it harder to defend in those situations I think there's probably a, a touch of that going on as well um, so it's hard to, hard to say why it's happening. It's probably not the same thing. I mean, the, the other thing that 
not just the late goals, but some of the goals we have been conceding um, in this season overall. It's mistakes, individual mistakes. We're doing stupid things. We're losing games because of stupid mistakes. I think I talked about a couple of podcasts ago about the Doncaster game. Your energy getting sent off for a stupid, yeah. Yeah, stupid lash out at an opposition player. That cost us the game because we, we looked like we were playing right with 10 men. We probably would have won with 11. Um, yeah, stupid mistakes. Almunia on Saturday against Millwall. Yeah, it may have bubbled. Warnock may be saying that Holloway should be thanking the groundsman, but he should still be saving those. Um, so, stupid mistakes, tiredness, psychological, lack of concentration. Take your pick. I would imagine it is a combination of all of those things. <laughs> well, the good thing is there's not many games left, so we can be ready for next year and be an absolutely perfect team. I think we've. I think really we're, we're probably where we deserve to be over the course of the piece. Yeah. As Jason rightly said, I think probably the theme of the year of the season is going to be mistakes, cheap, easy mistakes in key positions that have seeded possession and g- given away goals. And really, we're only sort of talking at it because we're, I guess because we're clutching at straws to a certain degree. We've almost, almost pulled something out of the fire with this season. We've turned it around, it looked like it was over halfway through. And we've had numerous chances to, to get into the playoffs. But let's remember, it's mainly due to the others making a pig's ear of it as opposed to us. Um, so I think because we felt like we've almost rescued something from the season, we're feeling it a little bit more keenly. But if we take a step back, I think Jace had it, had it absolutely right there. Looking, looking back as a season as a whole, too many mistakes throughout, and that's just continued and they've been more amplified because they've, they've had more meaning at the end of the season because we have had that minute chance of getting into the playoffs. From the rookery end... Uh, the last on the referendum was a special interview with Scott Dutch, the Watford CEO, Chief Executive Officer. Still available to listen to. You can get it on iTunes or from our website, fromtherookeryend.com. And it sort of it was a nice informal chat with him, wasn't it, Mike, in the pub about his first two years at the club? It was great. It's great to, to hear his voice and great to hear him talking passionately about Watford. Thanks, of course, to everyone who's listened so far. Yeah. If you haven't, do so because I think it is it's a worthwhile listen. It's not, not every day you get to hear from him, and we were grateful to chat to him, and it was interesting. We've had some, some great feedback, so thank you for listening. Now, from all your tweets and messages you sent us, one thing that really stood out for the interview is the way Scott talked about the Watford Academy. And we asked him about how it was progressing under the Foxo's ownership. Nothing's changed. Well, you know, one of the reasons we, we took the club was because of Harefield. We just got unlucky at the time. The Premier League decided we were going to do this Cat 1, Cat 2. Said it at the time that Cat 1 was basically trying to replicate what we did with Harefield. But the Premier League insisted to get this Cat 1 certificate, you've got to spend a million pounds on a 4G turf. You've got to spend £500,000 on uh, extra physio salaries, all these extra costs to get this certificate that, quite frankly, we can't afford. And we don't need, we've got Hairfield. That is Cat 1. And uh, we, we had an audit to get our category uh, a few uh, months ago, and that's what I said to them. I, they said, Is there anything you would like to say? I said, Yeah, you should give us Cat 1 status, because we are. How we run it with Hairfield, just because we don't tick the boxes with spending this on this generation after fit, we should be Cat 1 because that's how we run the, the, the football club and it's, it's absolutely central to our, to our development is, is the young players coming through both from a, a technical perspective and a financial perspective we want to bring through a certain number that are going to enhance the first team and a certain number that we will move on and sell because they're not good enough for us but they will provide revenue for the development of the football club so the, the academy is absolutely central it's got a little bit distracted with the debate because of this categorisation but for us historically we had Harefield 
and our commitment to Hairfield remains and nothing will change and in order to get a successful championship football club you need a, you need a mix of talented players but within that mix there's got to be people that come through the academy when I was at West Ham we signed these players Jack Collinson through the academy he was the, the one that all the supporters were, were looking at and the one that gave his heart so you need that mix and nothing will change at Watford for that the, the academy is still central to our development whether in the championship the Premier League or playing in the Champions League the academy will always be central our theme team, Scott was lovely enough to invite us to the director's box for the Burnley game um, and uh, have some food. There we met Chris McGuan, the current head of Watford's Academy. Uh, after the game, we grabbed him and had a chat to get some more details about what was going on at the Academy. Chris, we're, we're post Watford in Burnley. We've been waiting for you. Can you just go to the side to see if the boys are doing what they're meant to be doing? What's the, what are they meant to be doing? Well, the scholars obviously come to every home game. So after the game, they, they do their job. So they'll be in and around the dressing room, helping the staff tidy up, clean up, um, and just having them in and around the, the dressing room on a match day in here. So, but yeah, they, uh, they have tasks that they have to perform after the game. Do they still have to clean boots? The boys do still clean boots, yeah, they clean Good. all the pros. Yeah, I'm happy with uh, that. They do, they're all, they're all allocated players, so yeah, they clean their boots, yeah, definitely. And they do a number of different jobs throughout the week at the training ground. But Do most football clubs do that? We came to the, the Watford-Liverpool uh, FA Cup youth game, and you sort of got the idea, thinking Nick Cox, you know, he said, you know, there's a couple of the Liverpool boys who are on a, quite a bit of money, you're thinking... They're not going to be cleaning boots. Is that a, a common thing, or I don't know. To be honest, we just try and keep the boys grounded, and the tradition has always been, you know, the scholars, apprentices down the years have been the ones that, you know, clean players' boots and do do jobs around the training ground. So I'm not sure if it's something other clubs do. It's something we, we believe in. Um, we want the boys to work hard day in day out, and they need to earn the right to put on the yellow shirt and step out here. So it's part and parcel of their development, we believe. A couple of months ago now, we had the the audit, which uh, was related to EPPP. Um, so the guys, my understanding is guys coming from Belgium, is that right? Well the company's actually Belgium, yeah. but the company's double pass. Um, we actually had two auditors who were both English, one was a former former player. But yeah, the company is, is, from, is from Belgium and the concept that the Premier League bought in, it's been very successful in Belgium academies and the German academy system as well. So, um, but the actual auditors were both from, from England. And you're looking, you're looking alright, you're looking healthy. So was that process hard or, or was it? Uh, well, I believe so. I think we are very healthy. Um, it was an intense process. It was an intense... They were actually in for six days. They're normally in football class for four. We were very keen for them to see the Harefield Academy and the programme we run there. And They actually came in during half term, which meant uh, the school wasn't fully operational with the boys in lessons, etc. So they actually stayed a couple more days to, to see that. It was a good process to be, to be a part of. A lot of hard work winning behind the scenes with the staff, but... For me, the good thing was that the hard work that had been done across the number of years in terms of having a philosophy and the way that we do work with the players is already embedded in the academy and in the football club. So, although it was hard work, you know, a lot of the, the information um, that they needed was already embedded. Um, so, you know, it was a good process from that kind of point in of view. EPPP, people are interested about that and it's, yeah. it's still a concern for, for clubs of our, our size and supporters are interested about it. So, just, can you give us just a little insight as to what that um, audit process was like for you 
what they were asking from you, how how a, how a day would go, what the sort of stuff they'd be. Yeah, I mean, as I said, they were in for they were in for six days, and it was literally, you know, they wanted to see um, see everything. They wanted not only for it to be documented, if we say we did something that was there in, um, in writing for them to see, we backed up a lot of the stuff that we do through with video analysis and video footage. They would then look at that, they would then interview the staff that it was related to, to check that what we documented was actually being done, and then they wanted to see it them, themselves. But it was an intense you know, six days. They wanted to know everything about the academy. Everything Do they know your inside leg measurement yet? And not quite as far as that. Not quite as far as that. But they literally did follow us around. We were very open. We opened the doors to them. You know, we've got nothing to hide within the academy. As, as I said earlier, we, we believe in what we what we do here. Um, we believe it's very good. As Scott had mentioned in the week, you know, we believe we, we run one of the best programmes within the country and we'll continue to do so. And that's, that's again, that's another challenge for all of us. In the last podcast, we spoke to, to Scott Duxbury, the, the Watford CEO, and he, he was very, very clear that Watford remain as focused as they've ever been on, on youth and Harefield. And his belief was that, in effect, Watford's Academy is a Category 1. You're there at the coalface. Would you, would you agree with what Scott's oh, saying? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the... The actual programme that we run hasn't changed. You know, we've we've added to it. We're always improving. We try and be as creative and forward-thinking as we can with what we do. But you know, we believe in what we do within the academy and at the football club, and um, and the opportunities that we give we give our young players. Scott, Gino, Gianluca have always been from day one right behind us within the academy and, and the youth. Gianluca always tells me about good enough, old enough, and he mm. keeps telling me who's, who who can I have? Who's going to be in the first team? So. You know, from that point of view, you know, the club are uh, very much behind, you know, what we do and believe in what we do. I've got, you know, no doubts about that at all. We're so used to, as Watford fans, to seeing a lot of youth players on the pitch. Now, my gut says that was out of uh, necessity rather than a plan. Under, under Sean and Melky, I think. Yeah, because really. of financially where we were there. The fact that we've had, I, I, I would say that in the last three years, we've had we've now got three established not just I've, had, I've made an appearance yeah. uh, for five minutes you know, with Bond with Murray with Hoban they've established themselves as first team players would you say that's the norm three players one a season two maybe that uh, for a football club, for a big, for a successful yeah. club, it's hard to put a figure on it. Depends on what you, what your football club believes in, and how much they believe in, you know, the youth program and, and the youth setup and the hard work that goes on within the, the academies. We've got some great talent coming through. And that's the conversations I've been having with Gianluca, Scott, the members of the board, etc. I don't think it's hard to put a number on it. I have my my own specific targets for for us as an academy as a whole, for myself, for my staff. You know, each department we have we have targets that we want to try try and work to um, but the more players that we can get out on the picture you know today in, in the future that, that's got to be the aim for us it's what we're working every every day to try and achieve do you think I mean following on from John John's question do you think Watford fans do have a skewed or sort of um, expanded sort of ex- expectation of the amount of, of young players they're going to see because to put it bluntly we had we had no money and we had to bring through Adam Thompson uh, Lee Hodgson for example they played perhaps sooner than they, they ordinarily would have done if we had a had a bigger squad so do Watford fans need a little bit of, of re-educating and realigning their expectations about how many we're going to see come through. Possibly, but we've always been a club and an academy about giving young players an opportunity to, to go and play and whether you know that comes early or whether it comes later in, in the stage of their career, you know, 
that that will remain, you know, giving the giving young players the chance to go and express themselves express themselves out there. The challenge has got harder for for all of us, for the players, for the staff, you know, to to create those opportunities for players to go and play because the the standard of players that we're able to now bring to the football club has has improved, and and that's the job and that's the challenge for us in the academy to make sure that you know we're reaching the highest levels. Um, with the players that are, are coming through. So maybe a little bit, but as I said, it's all about giving young players that, that opportunity and that's what we've got to continue to try and do. You mentioned that the new guys coming in, the other players coming in. Marco Cassetti, who's been around the block, and there's people, I was pointing out to a, to a friend who came to the game with me, the number of internationals we've got. Now, outsiders would say, well, they're taking up the spots of, of young players. I like to look at it as in the training and around the training facility, they're inspiring yeah, our guys. Is, is that the case? Yeah, there's a bigger picture to it. I mean, to learn off players like Marco Cassetti and Oman Abdi for, for young players and, and y- y- young lads coming from the academy is, is invaluable. Um, if you can't learn off being in and around the training ground, working with these on a daily basis, being around them on a daily basis, it is inspirational to look at some of the players that, that are coming in. And that's only a good thing for the young boys. They're going to learn at such a faster rate being along alongside those players. Uh, I know from my own experiences when I was a kid growing up, you learn off those senior pros um, immensely. So it's a big part of their development for me. And it's down for those young players who have the hunger, the attitude to want to be better than the Marcos, than, than the Almonds, you know, than, and, and the Troys. You know, that's, that's what they've got to try, try and achieve. We saw on YouTube the amazing Keith Yuppies <laughs> of one Luke O'Neill, <laughs> uh, who then came and made his, his, his sort of first team debut. How much work do you tennis balls? No, not really. Um, but <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we first saw Sean Murray on YouTube, yeah, with his goal against Fulham in the FA Cup. Yeah. Is, how is that in terms of them sort of showing themselves off and trying to make their way as all this new media sort of, is that a problem for you? Uh, social media can be, we try and keep them off it, I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because we, we as, uh, you know, for myself, you know, part of my role and, and the staff within the academy is we've got to protect them. It's very easy for, for them to post something on, on Twitter or Facebook or, or YouTube nowadays that could be out in the public eye, which probably isn't the, you know, the image that they want. But social media is great through looks keep you up challenge, you know, Sean's goal, the, the clips you would have seen of the youth team this year on the official club's YouTube channel, it gives the, the fans an opportunity to see the boys in the right way and, 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 and for what they deserve because there are some extremely talented boys and we've just got to make sure that we protect their image because they are young and they will make mistakes on, on and off the football pitch and that's part of their learning for us. I think the simple thing is at the training ground there's that big Carpe Diem sign, isn't there? Switch that for... Set your Instagram settings to private. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Troy Deeney, and you're listening to From the Rockery End. Troy Deeney, dooby-doo, nothing he can do, Deeney, dooby-doo. He can brick late too, Deeney, dooby-doo. He can brick late too. Troy Deeney. Deeney, Deeney, Deeney. Something like that. He has taken his total scoring this year. Past 20 goals. He's now 463 goals. <laughs> He's now gone past 20 goals. Can, can I just interject? Yeah, Speaking of about goal scorers, how amazing was it at the Tales from the Vicarage Live event hmm. to see Luther Blissett's golden oh, boot? Oh, the golden nicking distance of it. Yeah. You could have reached out and stole it. Oh, to the uninitiated, you get the golden boot for not being the top scorer in 
the division for the top scorer in Europe. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So the top scorer in Europe. This was then he got this in eighty two, eighty three. Yep. So not only had Watford surpassed all expectations, finished second in their first year in Division One as it was then, but we had the leading scorer in Europe. <laughs> and so yeah, it tells with Richard he had this this box came on stage and it's sort of almost reminiscent of Pulp Fiction where this the, the, the thing opens and there's this golden hue <laughs> filled the room and it's incredible and then we saw it close up didn't we Jay? We did, we did. And do you know what it is? It is a black Adidas boot spray painted gold. Is it, is it spray was it actually dipped in? Yeah! Oh, gold. Uh, that was Megan Wynn, I believe. Who was that, Jace? Megan, Megan Wynn with the goal there. A, uh, her first goal of her golden boot a, season, maybe. Half, a half volley from the edge of the box into the top left-hand corner. A thing of beauty. Shake up that gold spray paint. We could have you <laughs> <Europe. laughs> Premier scorer in the Women's Super League. Jason, two good seasons now. I would never have seen this coming in his early start at Watford. No, no. When he, when he joined, I think it was the first day of that season wasn't it I think when he joined on the day we played Norwich on, yeah. the, on the Friday night um, and he signed he, he didn't go straight into the starting 11 and he found himself stuck behind a, a striking partnership that clicked from the from the get go as Mike Parkin might say <laughs> Danny and Danny and Marvin were keeping out the side at the start of course then Marvin and Danny moved on to other things <laughs> I was, was going to say better things but that might not be necessarily the case and then Troy obviously formed his own partnership of sorts with uh, Big Chris the big, boy, big boys up front yeah which was a, yeah, an interesting combination but probably the best of what we had and to be fair to Troy he, he contributed in that partnership goal wise where Big Chris struggled somewhat plenty of cases at that, at that point especially towards the end of that Sean Dyche um, season in charge he couldn't finish a goal you know, he no, one no, and one, he could not finish a goal. There were certain games, now we were all at Bristol Rovers oh. uh, the first time round. <laughs> that, that, yeah, when uh, that, that long journey at the Bristol Rovers. But we, we, we got we got 120 minutes of football, didn't we? And uh, yeah, and penalties. But we, were, I think we were already one nil up. And I think Marvin had personally didn't he one yep. nil up? And then Troy had that chance. Well, I know he got straight away, but Troy had that chance where he was through. And all he needs to do was put his boot through it and it was in the back of the net and he's decided to take a touch. It was all a bit heavy and he lost control and, and there was a man lacking confidence. And um, he had you know, said that, um, good season under Dodge, by the end of that season, you know, he, he had improved quite a lot. But then he had an extended summer break. Firstly, Jason, if yeah. you're going to steal my catchphrases, can you uh, <laughs> get permission first? Let's get that straight from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, he came back. He, he had, had a big summer break. Yep, he had a difficult time, and he came back a different man. Uh, he looked a lot hungry on the pitch that first time he played after his, um, his stay at uh, Majesty's Pleasure. You could tell he was working very, very hard. Now, I'd like to be clear in saying that that was the minimum that we had a right to expect as a, as a football club and as a, as a fan base as well, because Watford put their faith in him, and as supporters, we get behind our team, and we want to see someone who's committed and wants to you know, take his second chance, which it was, because it was quite a bad thing that happened. Watford gave him a second chance. Um, and he took it, and that was evident quite clearly, and I think the fans sort of forgave him quite quickly, and obviously when the goals started coming, <laughs> that makes it a lot easier to, a lot easier to forgive him, and he did incredibly well, you know, with, with Vidra up front, he, he forged a formidable partnership, and we all know what almost happened last year, great season for him last year, and I think almost this, this year has been more ad- admirable, because it's been a lot harder for him up there, he's had a lot of different strike partners, Watford have been 
much less fluid going forward. They, they haven't had the pace going forward. He, had the, you know, he hasn't had his, his strike partner in Vidra, who was petrifying the life out of virtually every defender on the field last year. So to, to come up with the same amount of goals this year already than he did last year is, is real testament to him and hugely impressive and he's rightly attracted um, quite a bit of attention. But my thing about this, this season actually, there was a point in, in November, September, October, November where he actually only scored two goals. Yeah. And he went missing as much as the whole team. Yeah. You know, they all left out. But I, I'm not going to lie, I have a massive issue with him. You know, the way he uses Twitter and the misuse of the word banter yeah, just absolutely knocks me. And well, you feel sorry for the other guys. You think no, no, no. Funny, no. The worst bit about it, which I think, I hope he got a massive fine for it, is he was a little sleep cam gag. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it's it's sort of funny. Once it's funny. <laughs> oh look, it's someone asleep. Oh, when when he did it, but when he did it for Beppe, brilliant. You can't do it for the manager. Balls of steel. But didn't he? But didn't want someone do it to him, and then he got taken down. What to try, didn't he? Yeah. You, don't, you don't sleep cam to the sleep camera. Oh, you give it, but you can't take it back. <laughs> Big boys have to be able to do that, I'm afraid. Is it time, Mark? Is it time to cash out? Or do we keep him around? I, if, we, if I had the choice, I would, I would like to keep him. For, for all the reasons that, that, that we've discussed, he's, he's grown into an, a very important player for Watford. He's, he's scored two, 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 over 20 goals twice in the season, which doesn't come along very often. He's a fan's favourite, so that's that. He's, he's talismanic. I'd love to keep him. However... In the real world, there are, there are two things that are probably going to happen. Troy Deeney may well want to leave Watford. His stock has never been higher. He's got 40 goals in two seasons. People are going to be interested in him. If he's got any sort of shred of um, self-respect, he'll want, to, he'll want to extend his career. He'll want, to, he'll want to play at the highest level. So if an offer comes in, Villa, Everton, he's going to go. And we know the Potsdos, what they do, we get players in, mm. we sell them yeah, for a profit. Yeah, yeah. And we're definitely going to, if he was to go, he's definitely going to go for profit. So he fits, he fits that bill. So it remains to be seen. The question was, do we cash out? I don't want to. The reality is, it's, it's likely. Jason, would you stick or twist with Troy Deeney? I'd stick for the reasons of, I think, consistency is key. Look at Leicester City this season. They haven't made too many dramatic changes. They didn't get rid of their manager, as everyone was talking about when we beat him a couple of additions and now they've won the league at the canter and we will probably need to make some changes in other areas so you want to you want to try and avoid changes in the squad where you don't need to make changes where you want to keep the good players um, so for that reason I would stick with him I agree with you on that maybe his attitude sometimes is that the question and I think that definitely that period you talked about where he, it wasn't working for him it did look it did sort of come across on the pitch it did look like he wasn't at his best in fairness, in in fairness to him though Jay sorry to come in I think he did say he kind of apologised saying he was trying to be a player that he wasn't and I think he was sort of trying to play the game that he used to play in last year's Watford game when there was going to be lots more chances he was trying flicks and, and little turns and dinks and stuff which isn't, which isn't his game at all and he did and in fairness he did come out and, and identify that he had been he hadn't been performing well and, and since he, he made the, did that interview I think that's kind of when I don't know whether he sort of thought right I need to do something because Watford aren't going in the direction, right direction and therefore I'm not but since then, his, his, his run of goal-scoring form has been impressive. And, he's, and you know, I think his finishing has come on. Well, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, better than that. he's certainly come on a long way since that pressure. Yeah, yeah. that, that, fin- that finish at Sheffield Wednesday was just one of my favourite Watford goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Question, question is actually, obviously, earlier on in the, in the podcast, I'm saying that professional footballers don't not try. So I think he, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was trying really hard, like Mike said, to be something it wasn't be. But there was just something you, you see him in games where... 
it was almost like it was like just it just looked like he wanted to wanted to give up. How much? How much, Mike? I think six million pounds. I think two years ago we'd have probably looked at two and a half million, three million. Mm. Um, I think the Potsdams are. If you're going to sell to a Premier League club, you're going to sell. You need to sell for Premier League money. Um, he is. He's proved himself. Well, Watford want to keep him. So there's a, there's a premium attached to that. He's a proven goal scorer, so there's a premium attached to that. Um, the Potsdams play hardball, so we know that. Um, they want as much as possible. I think I would say anywhere between four and six million. I was seven to eight. Jay Rodriguez was seven right. after one good season in the championship. Troy's had two good seasons in the championship. Rodriguez is probably worth more now because he's carried on playing well. Yeah. Thing, but yeah, seven, seven to eight. Wow. Maybe, well, maybe they should set the Ashley Young transfer as the benchmark to try and beat that. Beat that. Oh, okay. Because yeah, the other yeah, thing, yeah. of course, is it needs to be a figure that well, kind of impresses the supporters because if the deal we're talking like he's going, we don't we obviously no. don't know he is. We're just sort of surmising here. But if he does go, people won't think. Well, he probably wanted to go. Fair play to Troy. He deserves his chance. What football fans and what fans are no different will say. Well, that shows a lack of ambition by the club. Okay. The only way we can negate that is by getting a whacking great transfer fee for him. Sort of like the sort of figures that Jace mentioned: seven, eight, maybe even nine million. And I think ten. It's a nice round number. Okay, ten million. Okay, you ten million is. That's what you need to pay Premier League side. Hola, soy Manuel Almunia. You're listening to From the Rock Radio. It's half time uh, here at the Betcampton Football Club. Uh, 1 1 uh, Watford. We are here with a women's football expert uh, from the Women's Football Podcast, Kieran Taven. What do you think? Watford fan. Massive Watford fan. Oh, a massive Watford fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's not forget that. Don't forget that. What do you think of the game so far? I think we've done all right. I think we had a moment a lapse of concentration for their opening goal and I think we've been all over them since and great goal by Megan Wynn to, to level it up and you would have seen Sarah Wilch has had a few efforts from distance that's troubled Sarah Quantrill in the Millwall goal but I think we've done okay so far. She's keeping a minute that Millwall keeper. Yeah she's, she's a good keeper she's played in the WSL 1 before so she's got a lot of experience she's played for Liverpool and she's played for Chelsea as well so she's a good keeper. Okay now we are here on this first game of this new thing called the Women's Super League 2. How is it different from the last time Watford played a league game? Watford ladies team played a league game? Well, it's different in the sense that they can actually win promotion from this league. When they were playing in what was known as the Premier League National last year, it was they, they could be relegated, but there was no promotion. Um, the, the Women's Super League, as it was, was a standalone league of eight teams. They've now extended it to two divisions. There are ten teams in Watford's division, and the top team from this league can actually get promoted into the Women's Super League 1. The bottom team, obviously, in Women's Super League 1 will get devoted. To the Women's Super League 2. So it's different in that sense, and the teams are very different as well. There's only three teams that Watford faced last season that are in this division. There are six new styles that they're going to come up against. What can Watford expect from this year? I know that speaking to the guys, they're very optimistic for this year. I know that having finished runners up in the Premier League National last year, they are looking to really push on, and they genuinely believe that they can try and get promotion. There's some strong sides in this division. Sunderland, who've won the league the last few years, will certainly be the favourites. Doncaster Rivers Bells, who through no fault of their own, were demoted from the, the top division to the FAWSL2. They'll fancy themselves as well. But Watford will be up there, no doubt about that. They'll, they'll fancy themselves. If they can carry on like they did last year, there's no reason why they can't be pushing for, for promotion. They lack a little bit of experience. Some of the other teams have been able to strengthen more than Watford have been able to, but certainly they've got a chance. Quite a lot of um, coverage about Doncaster's demotion. That was 
from what I gather, down to money and facilities and that sort of stuff. So if Watford were to get promoted, is everything all right? I guess that's something that they'll have to review if that were to happen. Um, I know that obviously Doncaster, as you will rightly say, were demoted for a number of reasons. The application for the WSL was was quite hefty. It was a big document. There were a lot of factors that were taken into consideration. It wasn't just about money. It was facilities. It was ability to fill the stadium. There was a lot of things that they have to meet. So if Watford were to get promoted, that's something that they'd have to review. And, and whether this facility and whether the structure they've got at the moment would get them up, that's, that's to, that has to be seen, I guess. Because Man City took the place of Doncaster because of money. Is there a gulf between the people in WSL2 with Watford and those in WSL1? There's no denying that there is. There probably is when you look at the investment. It's not just Manchester City. Chelsea have invested a lot of money and brought in some players from, from abroad. Notts County ladies have managed to tie in an Olympic group, you know, bronze medalist who plays for Canada. You know, she's a, a, a real star and she's come over to England. So, yeah, I mean, there's no denying that there is probably a golf and the teams that are in the top division do have facilities and money that clubs in the WSL2 don't. But there's not just about that. I mean, Everton ladies, Birmingham City ladies haven't spent a lot of money during the pre-season. They've relied very much on their young players and I think that's what teams in the WSL2 are going to have to do. They're going to have to rely on bringing players through from the academies. Who are the stars of what's the team that we should start putting their names in the back of our shirts? Sarah Wiltshire is obviously one that a lot of people will know about. If not now, they certainly will do. She's a Welsh international. She's got ability with both feet, one of the few players that I've seen in the women's game who's as good with her left as she is with her right, dangerous from set pieces and one of the best players in this division and that sounds biased but she genuinely is. Um, I know that you guys were impressed with Emma Beckett last time that you were down mm-hmm. here as much for her gob as much as her footballing <laughs> <laughs> ability but I know Emma's trying to curb that so Emma's got a good range of passing and is certainly a good player and one of the few players that we've got in the Watford team who does have WSL1 experience is Bonnie Horwood. She arrived from Lincoln Ladies and she's a really, really good player. She can play centre-back or in central midfield. Yeah, so Bonnie's certainly one of the players who impressed me so far. She made a brilliant tackle on the middle number 17 there, goal scorer. Stayed in the feet, number 17 running at her. Let her go into the box but then put in a perfect tackle. You know, there's no, no danger of giving away a penalty anyway. Um, and she managed to injure her in the process <laughs> as well, which, which is not, not necessarily a bad thing, but, but it, it, it is a bit because she was causing us trouble, I think, uh, of any of the Millwall players. I've also been impressed by Megan Wynn tonight. I think she, obviously, we standing right on where she's been running up and down the touchline, but she's been taking players on. She's got a fantastic goal against um, against there, who Kieran Pop rightly said has been superb in goal for Millwall, and it was going to take a good goal, I think, to beat her for that first one. Um, and she's putting some good good crosses as well. And I have to say, having said, as I mentioned the fact that Arky Chaylak is quite small, <laughs> and she has been dominant in the penalty area. She's commanded it so well. She's sort of quick to, to come onto any through ball um, and collect it and she's had to make some, some pretty sharp saves herself as well they, the Millwall guys have been testing her I think with a few long range efforts and she's, she's matched them so far nothing she could do about the goal So Kieran sum it up for people listening to the podcast who haven't been to a Watford ladies game why should they come down? It's cheap You understand that there's, 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 very there's well, no denying that at all it is, it is a cheap day out and, but it's entertaining you know these girls give absolutely everything they don't get some of them get paid, some of them, a lot of them don't, some of them will get expenses. So they, they play for the love of the game and they give absolutely everything in, in the matches that they play. And this Watford side is a, is a good team. You know, you're not going to come here seeing a team get absolutely hammered, which they were getting a few years ago. 
this is a good side with a lot of promising players who will be pushing for promotion. So get yourself down here and, and give them some support, especially as they're playing through the summer as well. There's not a lot of football mm -hmm. here. There's a World Cup going on. Mm -hmm. Forget that. As soon as England go out, which we will, come down and support them because they need the support and, and they appreciate it. I know that from, from knowing some of them personally. They do genuinely appreciate it. So get yourself down here. Got something to send the boys? Then email podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items to define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in 100 objects! We've reached a halfway point in our search for 100 objects that define Watford Football Club. Now remember, they can be objects that define a special moment in the club's history or define your relationship with the club as a football fan. Now, Object 50 had to be a significant object and it's a painting by the artist Terry Chalice. It was suggested by Calvary and Greenwood and I caught up with Watford author Lana Burney to talk about the painting and Terry's role in Watford's history. Well, Terry Chalice was a very talented artist, probably best known to Watford fans as a cartoonist in the Watford Observer. He would do a weekly cartoon which was part comedy, part satire, summing up the week's events. And a lot of people, including Graham Taylor, used to say it was the, the first thing they read in the Watford Observer on a Friday. How long did it go on for? Well, he started in, I think, the mid-70s. Uh, in the paper, perhaps a little bit earlier, and carried on until sort of the mid-2000s, and Terry died in 2009, and I mean he had a, a really impressive body of sort of 35 years work behind him. The object we're putting in the list is this famous painting of Elton John on a pack of a hornet looking up at the liver bird. That was done in 1977, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was uh, around about a year or two after Elton had taken over the club, before Graham Taylor became the manager, but clearly Elton John's ambition was to take the club from the fourth division where they were at the time. That's League Two in uh, today's <laughs> money. Sorry, I always feel the need to say <laughs> that. Uh, just in case people go, what's the fourth division, Dad? <laughs> Elton wanted to take the club all the way to the very top, and Terry's painting depicted a Watford player sort of struggling out of the lower division swamps. There's a checkerboard of um, football pitches representing the journey that has to be travelled, and in the distance there's a shiny newsstand and uh, a mountain with a live bird on the top, signifying Liverpool's dominance at the time, and the Eiffel Tower which says, you know, Europe, and obviously Watford went on that journey, so Terry's painting as a kind of allegory and as a kind of premonition of what Watford would do over the, the next ten or so years was, was extraordinary, really. Object 51 is a Roar the Rovers wall chart. I used to love a wall chart, Jason. I used to love a wall chart, I used to love Roar the Rovers, and me being the, the sort of obsessive statistician <laughs> I, well not that obsessive to be honest um, yeah but I used to love the chart the, the, the ones you used to get like Royal Rovers and uh, your World Cup well I still do World Cup yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to my World Cup on this year. I always do those and I had the lead ladders as well I had the Spooky oh, yeah, ones yeah 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 but yeah where you could yeah, move them up and down, down. Oh, I used to love those so yeah ball chart there's always one ball chart on the go of some sort in my uh, in my childhood bedroom but whilst clearing out the stuff from the attic of his family home Dave Messenger co-manager of the fans team Watford Internet found one from when he was nine years old well, I started looking for this football scrapbook. There's pictures of what various Watford players, again, most of whom I wouldn't have recognised if I hadn't had handily written their names in. <laughs> but I thought it's one thing, it's folded up and it's stuck in with, it's stuck in with a print stick or something like that. And it's folded up so I couldn't actually see what it was. So I unfolded it and it's this bloody fantastic wall chart of the 82 83 season. It was given away with Royal Rovers. So that's another thing that ages me, is uh, Roy the Rovers. Four sections to it. You've got all the results dutifully filled in by me, all the goal scorers dutifully filled in by me, club colours, great picture of Bob Paisley, and then the, the, yes, there is this chance, is the league performance plotter where I've, I've gone and put a little dot 
in my nine-year-old scrawl and linked them up quite nicely to show a nice little graph of, uh, of Watford's progress for the season. And I'm sure many Watford fans have had a wall chart over the years, but because it's the 82-83 yeah. season, where you know, that ends a couple of weeks yeah. or months almost, where it's, it's we're at second in the league, and that's yeah, exactly. the highest finish ever for Watford. Exactly, and, it, and it's the fact that it just brought, it brings back so many fantastic memories as well. It's a, it's a season that's talked about a lot. We've had um, programme articles about it, reunion nights at the club and all sorts. And it is, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest season in Watford's history. Wish I could remember a bit more about it. Only been nine at the time. Yeah. I wish the memories were clearer. I think the memories pretty much were we turned up every other Saturday and watched Watford annihilate somebody. And uh, when my dad wanted to take us to an away game as well, we was pretty much the same of those as well. Wherever we, wherever we went, we wallop people. We beat Luton five two. We beat Sunderland eight nil. Like I said, I just wish I had clearer, vivid, more clearer memories of the actual football. To say my childhood memory of it is just all it's all sweets and lollipops all the way. A key rule with the Watford 100 objects is that an object cannot be in if it is still in use. So Vicarage Road can never go in unless removed. So it is a great pleasure that object number 52 represents the end of an association with one Lawrence Bassini yes. and our beautiful club. We're putting in his red hard hat, Mark. If I was Lawrence Bassini, I would keep my red hard hat and I would keep it on at all times. <laughs> because his enemies are growing by the minute. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what can I say that hasn't already been said? I was actually quite enjoying that evening until you mentioned him. <laughs> Jabber the hat. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you know, the contempt with which I hold this guy is uh, knows no bounds. It's just, I mean, it's well documented what almost happened, what did happen and what could have happened. And, um, you know, this, this, this month we were welcoming, in inverted commas, Luton Town back into uh, the league. So they're in the, on the same, in the same league and on paper at least because obviously they're, they're miles apart. But they were they were they were a, a sign of what can happen when you're badly mismanaged, plummeted through the divisions. That could have easily been us due to the the actions of that plank. <laughs> um, and whilst we can't keep sort of comparing where we are now with with where where, where we were then, his hard hat should serve as a just that you know a glint of red. On a on a builder's sort of uh, building site, I think no, not, you need to walk past that and remember where we were and where we are now. Just horrendous times, and just so glad to be through it. So, object this month going in at number fifty was Terry Charles's painting. His eerily accurate depiction of the future. A lot of what happened in that uh, that picture came to pass, apart from the giant hornet, luckily. Well, what else have we done on? True, true. So everything about it is accurate. Ooh. And uh, number 51 is the Roar of the Rovers wall chart, and number 52 is the red hard hat of one Lawrence Bassini. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the referee end. The final score uh, here at Berkhampton was Watford Ladies 2, Millwall Lionesses. Two. It's the second 2-2 two, two draw in a week between Watford and Millwall, Jason. It was, uh, and a, a good game of football. I think um, Watford will feel a little unfortunate that they uh, they didn't win the game. They'll be disappointed that they conceded so quickly after taking yeah, the lead. Yeah. I thought that, that when that second goal went in for us, when we took, went 2-1 up, I thought they'd kick on and, uh, and, and bag a few more. Second goal we'd gone in, it was almost as if Millwall sort of settled for that. Yeah, good game to open the season. Shame they couldn't get the three points, but uh, a good start, I feel. 
it was uh, not for the faint-hearted out there, and uh, yeah, impressive stuff. Really, really enjoyed it. From the rookery end. Okay, we're off the other side of the ground to have a chat with Watford ladies' manager John Salomon and uh, the goal scorer Rene Hector. Let's see what I have to say after the 2-2 draw against Millwall Lionesses. John, we finished the game. What did you learn about this, from this game? Yeah, there's a few things we learned. <laughs> there's a few <laughs> things we learned. I mean, it's a tough game because it's tough to come in to come into it and play against. Obviously, Millwall changed a lot of things about their, their, their lineup or the squad. We tried to learn a few things about you know beforehand, going and watch them and, and in pre-season. We learned a few things about the way that we play and maybe things that we'll need, we'll need to adapt against certain teams. I mean, no, on the whole, we're, we're, we're a little bit disappointed, but there'll be a few things that we'll go back and we'll watch the video and we'll. <laughs> <laughs> see what we can learn, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. You deserve to win, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And your goal scorer? God, I'd never score. So, obviously, that was a good bonus, especially for the first game of the season. Like, it's always good to get a goal, especially as a defender. But, um, obviously, we're still, still disappointed to concede, especially the first goal. we just got to keep our heads up, keep going, get better all the time, and hopefully we'll score more goals. It looked hard. There were some tough challenges flying in. There was elbows, a bit of verbals. Is it like that all the time? Yeah, it's like that most of the time. I can't say I come off the pitch. Not believing that I gave 100% because we couldn't breathe. <laughs> but um, still need to improve all the time. There's always room for improvement. And hopefully this Sunday against Aston Villa, we can get those little 1% and get better all the time. And hopefully we get the win on the weekend. John, you said it's the first game of the season, 18 games. Are you ready for it? Are you happy for it? Yeah. The thing that I like about this group is that you know we're, we're disappointed with a draw today. We never celebrate draws. We hate losing. We don't lose very often. Fortunately, well, last season we didn't. Yeah, yeah. And we want to win. You know, we, we worked so hard and we, we, they do so much in training. They work so hard in training. And we want to win every game we play. And that's why you know it's, it's a hard-earned point today. It's a really hard-earned point today. They had to really graft towards the end there to, to, to get that point. But equally, we're still disappointed because we want to win every game, <laughs> like any football team. And, and the thing is, we've come to a high level now. We know it's going to be tough. Um, but we believe in ourselves and we. We believe that we that we can go into any game and win it. We showed that in pre-season with, with some some fantastic results. But you know, I think they'll they'll learn lessons. The thing as well about this group is they do learn lessons quickly. They learn lessons in the you know from the first 20 minutes um, of, of that half, and then I think we kind of turn the turn the to turn the second the first half around because they're learning as the game's going on, and they're a good group. So we'll we'll, we'll be stronger from this from this experience, and we'll, we'll go again on Sunday. So what's what's different about the Super League? It's, it's another it's another challenge. It's, a, it's another step up. The culture's changed a little bit because some clubs have got more more power in terms of finances and things like that. So that changes things in terms of what we have to do off the pitch and, 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 and certain, certain things that we have to, to work a little bit harder on. Ultimately, not a lot's changed because it's still 90 minutes of football. It's still 22 players on the pitch and it's still three points to be played for. So that's the, ultimately, that's the thing we're here for and, and we'll work hard every single week to make sure we get as many points as we can. We, we spoke to Kieran earlier. He said there's no reason that this Watford side can't get promotion. Go along with that? Kieran knows everything there is to know about women's football. <laughs> Kieran's the master of women's football. So, um, so yeah, you must, must be right then. <laughs> must be right. Yeah, we believe. We believe. We believe in ourselves. We believe in what we're doing. We've built it up over the last couple of years and, it, and, it's, and it's been going really well. And all the players buy into, into the Watford way and that's, that's really important for us. So we'll keep on working hard and, and we'll, we'll chase, those, chase those first three points on Sunday. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Rookery End. Thank you to John and the girls at Watford Ladies for an entertaining evening. Um, thank you to Kieran for his expertise you can listen to his podcast the Women's Football Podcast have a look at it on iTunes thank you for listening and we'll be back at the end of the season with a special podcast we're going to call at the Huddersfield game so speak to you then come on you all